Welcome back, everyone, to a new episode of the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damien here with my co-host, Matt and David. Today, we will recap the uh, from Game 3 on through the World Series that saw the Astros win in 6. Uh, we've had a free agent already re-signed with his current team. And then we'll jump into our top uh, 11 free agency predictions um, and our outlook on what the offseason will look like. But before we get to all that, how you doing, Matt? I'm doing pretty good. Um, had a had a pretty good weekend, and uh, just uh, you know, I kind of hate to see the baseball season end, but uh, you know, the off season's gonna be exciting too. And um, you know, we're gonna get a little bit of talking about what's going, what's happened this year. Give us a little, get a little recap on the season, and then get get moving forward to you know the off season and maybe next year. So uh, we'll um, you know excited to talk about it. We'll um, we'll, uh, we'll have a good time. Uh, how's how's everything going? How's everything going, David? It's going all right. You know, I missed last week, I know, but we've had some technical difficulties already this week trying to get it to work, but I think we'll be good this time. Uh, it's been a rather fun, uh, you know, start to the off season already. And uh, as a Cubs fan, I'm definitely looking forward to, um, you know, the players making moves. There's a lot of really interesting free agents cropping up. Uh, also, congrats to the Astros on winning the World Series. And uh, before we get started on uh, kind of that World Series recap, how you doing, Damian? Uh, we'd do better if this wasn't our fifth time trying to record this tonight already, it seems like. But uh, it was a good weekend overall. Got to see the uh, Alabama Tide, Crimson Tide lose to, to LSU Tigers, so that's a good one. Uh, not see Alabama in the playoffs, but let's uh, let's go ahead and jump over to the, the Astros uh, World Series win. Um, you know, when we ended our recording last time, we were in the middle of Game 3. The Astros were leading 4 nothing. Or the sorry, the Phillies were leading four nothing in Game Three. Um, the Phillies ended up getting three more in the bottom of the fifth to dominate the rest of that game, seven nothing. And then the uh, seems like the momentum was in the Phillies side. They were leading the series two one. Had the next two at home, and then Christian Javier happened to them. Yeah, uh, that game four no hitter was incredible. Um, Christian Javier came out. He he did this in the regular season against the Yankees too. I think he was the same guy that started their their combined no hitter in the regular season. But he came out just dominated. They couldn't touch his fastball. He's also he's got a great breaking ball as well. Um, you know, pitch pitch great. Gave him a couple walks. That was it. Um, then the bullpen came in and closed it out, uh, finishing game four. And the Astros did the first no hitter in the World Series since. Uh, since Don Larson's perfect game, and it was actually the first no hitter in the postseason since Roy Halladay's no hitter in, I believe it was 2010 or 2011. He threw his no hitter for the Phillies, so uh, definitely, uh, definitely interesting game for it. I really thought that was kind of the turning point in this series. It absolutely was. You know, we talked about how the Phillies needed their big bats to carry them through this postseason, the big bats and the starting pitching, and. Uh, you know, when they started getting shut down by that no hitter, you know, Kyle Schwarber said he didn't give a shit, but at, you know, it, it really mattered because Bryce Harper didn't really do anything the rest of the way. It seemed like the Phillies were kind of on their heels after that. And, um, you know, we saw game five end with uh, real Muto flying out to center field with a really great catch from Chaz McCormick um, that kind of, it really did kind of clinch it for the Astros at that point. I don't think anybody, really believed the Phillies were going to come back. You know, the Astros were such a good team, so complete. We knew that it was going to require magic in Philadelphia, right? And they needed to steal one in that Astros series uh, in the, in those first two games. And they did, but you know, we, we also said that if, if, if Houston won any games in Philadelphia, that was going to be it. And their first win in Philadelphia, which was Philadelphia's first loss in the postseason at 
home was a no hitter. So talk about, you know, taking the wind out of your sails there. Yeah. I mean, it re- it really did take the wind out of their sails. Um, and then in game five, you know, they had a, the, they had a close game. They were battling. It was three, two in the ninth inning. And then JT Ramuto hits one that looked like it should have got out, but it was going to bounce off the wall and probably for at least a triple. And Chaz McCormick made a great running, jumping catch against the wall. Um, you know, with, I think what was the first or second or second out in the ninth inning um, in a one run game. And with Bryce Harper coming up, you know, if that runner was on third and that, that out gets taken by Chaz McCormick. And now it, that really took the wind even out of the sails for that rest of that game. Um, and really felt like the, the final knockout blow uh, heading into game six in Houston, where uh, Zach Wheeler was dominating. And then they, Rob Thompson pulled him. And then Jordan Alvarez hit one of the, uh, the biggest home runs we'll see. Yeah. This just seemed to me like a, a scenario where, you know, Rob Thompson kind of, he kind of had the way he was managing all their postseason games was they'd get their starter through, you know, four or five innings, and then they'd go to their bullpen. And when their bullpen came in, they um, they just, um, you know, they, they, they had some good luck with the same three or four guys. They, they had, you know, Alvarado would come in. You know, they'd have uh, Zach Eflin, David Robertson, and Sir Anthony Dominguez. And, and honestly, you know, out of those guys, like, I, I think that, you know, Alvarado, when he's got command, is really, really good. And, and Dominguez is really, really good. But some of the other guys in, in that were, you know, they, 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 they had a little bit of good fortune in the postseason, too, in some ways. But, um, you know, you kind of look at, um, you know, you, you look at the way that the series unfolded. And if you throw those guys out there four or five, six games in a row, a, a team starts to see them and starts to time them up a little bit better. And, you know, especially, you know, a guy like uh, like Alvarado, who, you know, he's throwing really hard. He's kind of funky. He's kind of weird. Uh, you know, that really hard sinker and, and, then the, and then the cutter that's in the low 90s. And, uh, you know, Jordan Alvarez saw that like almost every single game. So he kind of knew what to look for, went up there, hit an absolute like destroyed a baseball. Um, and it was, you know, 450 foot straightaway center. It was like 115 miles an hour off the bat, just absolutely vaporized the baseball. And I mean, that was it. That was kind of like last year's Jorge Soler home run. That was really the from that moment, you knew that the Phillies were as good as they've been and, and as much as they fought this, this postseason, you knew they were not going to come back from that, even though it was just a three to one game. Yeah. And Jeremy Pena ultimately gets awarded world series MVP. Uh, he hit 400 in the world series with a 600 slugging, a uh, big home run, a couple of doubles. I, you know, I made a, a bit of a long winded point in our previous attempt at recording. I'll try to narrow it down a little bit. I kind of think that this is a bit of a snub on Framber Valdez who threw two really good starts against this Phillies lineup, 18 strikeouts in 12 innings uh, here in the world series. He was just really, really strong. I kind of think that they robbed him a little bit and that he probably could have been, could have been him, but uh, you can't give an MVP award to an entire pitching staff where I think it's the Empire, the, or the Astros pitching staff, um, you know, picking up, you know, the most valuable players, they shut down a very, very relentless Phillies offense for uh, six games. Yeah. And then how bad do we look for, uh, for all doubting Jeremy Pena to begin the season when, uh, you know, they lost Carlos Correa. I think I even said that they'd be a wild card team because of that. And um, he comes back and has, a, you know, a potential rookie of the year season, if it wasn't for, you know, Julio Rodriguez and Adley Rutschman. And then, 
you know, backs that up by having an ALCS MVP award and now a World Series MVP award where he hit 400. Um, you know, it's Jeremy Pena is a, a young star in this game that uh, seems like the Astros are just able to pick up right where they left off with uh, with that. But, you know, another another good thing for the Astros winning is that Dusty Baker finally gets his his World Series win. I mean, he's been there twice before. Um, I think it was 2002 with the with the Giants and then with uh, the the Astros last year, but he's had so many heartbreaking losses in the postseason. Um, and at 73 to finally get his, uh, his world series ring, it was a, uh, a well, well received around the league. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's really cool to see him get, get that win. Finally. Um, he is, is a guy who's been around forever. You know, he's been managing for 25 years and he's, it, you know, it'd be one thing if he'd managed for 25 years and he had never been close, but you know they've he's been, they've they've endured so many heartbreaking losses with him you know as a manager. I mean he was the manager in in 2002 in, in the World Series for the Giants when you know they blew that big lead in Game Six and then in Game Seven lost lost in seven. Uh, you know he was the manager of the 2003 Cubs when they you know dropped the uh, you know when they had the Steve Bartman play and had the collapse in, in the NLCS. He was the manager last year for for the Astros when they won you know, a hundred, over a hundred games, I believe. And I think it was, they won over a hundred games and, and then they, uh, then they, um, and then, and then they lost in the world series to a team that won 88 games. I mean, he's been so close so many times and it was cool to see him finally, um, you know, finally get that win. And, uh, I mean, it's not like he had never made his mistakes. I mean, you know, um, he's left pitchers out there too long a few times, uh, <clears throat> Mark Pryor, um, and then, um, you know, uh, it kind of kind of stinks to um, it, 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 it stunk to see him lose, um, you know, it's so so many close situations so many times. And then he finally gets it done. Happy for him. He was a long time great player, um, you know, in the big leagues, too. And, uh, you know, it's really cool to see. Well, let's go ahead and transition over to our um you know, start of the free agency uh, period. It really opens on Thursday, but in this low period, you're able to talk to your uh, your former team, and that's what Edwin Diaz was able to do. Resigned with the New York Mets on a five year, hundred and two million dollar deal, uh, has an opt out after three years, um, and then that first three years has a full no trade clause. Um, and there's a potential for a sixth year option that I'm not quite sure the uh, the numbers have been reported on what that would be money wise. This is a huge deal. But uh, I, look at the, look at it this way, right? This is a record-setting deal because the previous record holder for a reliever contract in total money was Aroldis Chapman at eighty-five million. Uh, this is uh, solidly over that and really sets the market, especially because Edwin Diaz was the best reliever in baseball last year. Um, but it's it's kind of my belief that you can't put a price on the trumpets, um, the atmosphere. Uh, in the Mets Nets field uh, on those game nights when Edwin Diaz came in was absolutely electric. Um, the ability to, you know, uh, have that as, a, you know, the potential end of the game weapon and uh, having Edwin Diaz really step up into that role of the kind of dominant shutdown closer with the, the hardcore entrance in New York. I mean, that's really something we haven't seen since Mariano Rivera with Enter Sandman. Um, so, you know, having that kind of presence in the back end of the bullpen is it's not traditional, but it's something that can absolutely be a huge difference uh, in this, in the regular season when you need to win the baseball game. 
Um, the Mets won 101 games this year in large part due to Edwin Diaz's brilliance in the closer position. Um, I don't know that spending a hundred million dollars on a reliever is necessarily uh, what the, the standard, you know, books say these days, but you know, it seems like uh, this is a good move for the Mets to keep that kind of organization together and uh, you know, trying to win. Yeah. And I'll, I'll kind of, what you said with the, with the atmosphere and stuff and when he comes to the game. I mean, $100, $100 million for a reliever in a vacuum is just a terrible contract. I mean, that's the stupidest thing you could do. $100 million. I mean, relievers are volatile. I mean, you remember like two years ago, Edwin Diaz had like a 450 ERA and the Mets fans were ready to run him out of town. So, you know, at the, but but at the same time, the Mets don't care about money. I mean, they if, he's, if it's a bad contract, they don't care. They'll just eat it. And uh, if it turns out that way, and and right now he's the best reliever in baseball. So, I mean, if he continues that, it's obviously a good contract. But um, you know, uh, it, it's very risky to sign a guy to that. But but like I say, you don't really have that much risk when you just are going to ignore it if it's a bad contract and just spend more. So um, you know, I think Steve Cohen, you know, also uh, he kind of runs the team because he, he's a fan. I mean, he runs it like he's a fan, and a lot of times, you know, people who are fans of a team. Uh, you know, they, they pick, they, you know, they, they, that's the type of stuff they care about, you know, as much as signing a guy to a, a, an appropriately valued contract is, hey, this is really fun. I'm, I'm enjoying seeing Edwin Diaz come in. The atmosphere is great when he comes in. You know, it's a big event. And, uh, you know, I, I don't mean to down down this from a baseball standpoint because I think he's a great reliever. And if any reliever is, you know, worth a hundred million dollar contract. It probably is Edwin Diaz this year. I mean, he was incredible. His stuff is great. His stuff has been really good, even when he struggled the last few years. It's just been a, you know, some of it's been kind of random, like home run luck and stuff. But, uh, you know, I, I expect him to continue to be really, really good. But uh, definitely an interesting contract. We'll see. You know, we'll see how it turns out. It could end up being a horrible value just because the volatility of relievers. But like I say, I don't think the Mets really care if it does end up that way. So. Yeah, Steve Cohen doesn't care. He he has plenty of money to to make that work. But let's go ahead and transition over and and start with our predictions because I know this is probably going to be more the uh, the long wind segment. Um, we have a, a list of guys here that we'll we'll start from top to bottom with. Uh, with one being Aaron Judge, um, obviously is with the New York Yankees or was with the New York Yankees this last year. Uh, David, where do you have Aaron Judge going for how many years and how many millions of dollars? All right, so we'll, we'll get into the specifics, but I do want to give my thought process. Um, I believe Aaron Judge is dis- destined for really only two places. Um, I think there's a few outside opportunities for the big market teams to jump in, but ultimately I've got Judge deciding between making a trip to the West Coast in San Francisco and staying in New York with the Yankees. And my settled uh, mindset was that he'll stick with the Giants um, or he'll go to the Giants, sorry, and abandon the Yankees coming off of the, the booing in the postseason, which seemed a little unnecessary. You know, I mean, Aaron Judge is the kind of guy who's going to go through stretches where he hits a homer every game, and then he's going to go through a stretch of games where he strikes out a lot. And, you know, that's just the player he is. But, you know, he, he just put on, you know, one of the greatest seasons we've ever seen. So, um, you know, I've got him at eight eight years, $340 million. I think it'll be in that three we saw Corey Seager get like 320, 330 last year. I think Judge has to surpass that. Um, but Seager went for 10 years, so I think Judge can get that in eight years. 
Um, I don't know if any teams are going to be willing to go to nine or 10 for a 30 year old with a big body and a big strikeout problem. But, you know, it, with all the upside in the world for Aaron Judge, he's going to be worth that money. It's just going to be a matter of which team I think is willing to shell out the dough. Yeah, I think um, I I think he stays with the Yankees. Um, I, mm-hmm. I went with eight years, three hundred twenty million dollars. Uh, a few reasons for that. The first thing is that um, I think that I, I know that there was a lot made out of the, the, before the season. You know, he was unhappy with how the Yankees kind of released his his um, you know the details of the extension they were trying to give him, and and then um, you know, and, and then like you say, you know, maybe his he wasn't very happy with how the the fans of the um, of the uh, the Yankees fans treated him in the, in the playoffs. But I, I, honestly, I, I don't know if the the Yankees fans' treatment of him in the playoffs really matters that much in this case. Um, you know, I think that Judge understood that he was striking out a ton in the playoffs, and that he understands they're frustrated and they're passionate fans. I think he's embraced that. He's been there long enough to know that. That's just the way Yankees fans are, and when he hits his 60-second home run of the year, they're all absolutely going bonkers for him. So I think he gets the kind of risk-reward of that. He He's very good in that market. Um, you know, now, the thing about Judge is that I think the Yankees are going to be desperate to bring him back now. There was so much made out of them not locking him up and, um, you know, before the season. And, and I, I just – I think that his value is – I think other teams are, are, are not going to value him as highly as the Yankees are because of that. I think that some of the contract offers are going to be lower than what people kind of expect them to be because he is 31 years old this year. And I know that he just had a historic season, and he's a, he's been a great player every year. It's not just – I mean, this was obviously his peak year, but he's been great every single year. But he's also you – know, like you said, he's 31. He's a big-bodied guy. And – he still, and I know that he's been healthy. He was healthy this year, and he was healthy last year. But he had a lot of injury issues in the past too, and you can't just completely throw those out the window. Even though he's put up two, you know, very healthy years in a row for a guy at his size and his skill set, that you do kind of have to factor that in a little bit. But so I think that other teams are going to value him highly. I think other teams are probably going to offer in that three hundred million dollar range for eight years. But I think the Yankees are just going to go. They're gonna they're gonna go above and beyond and, and and to be honest, when it comes to Yankees losing a, a star franchise player like Judge, I, I just I'll believe it when I see it. I mean that's kind of the way things are with the Yankees. I mean they they don't lose players like this very often to, to other teams, so I'll just I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, that's exactly pretty much what I was gonna say right there at the end. Is that the reason I have. Aaron Judge also going back to the Yankees. I have him going in a nine years, $360 million. I think the Giants are a real threat. Um, I think that they are going to push in that eight-year range, maybe into that nine-year range. Might be the reason why they have to do it. Um, But I just, to me, I just don't think that Brian Cashman and the Yankees can afford to let Judge walk right now. Like after everything that happened in the in the offseason last year and then Judge betting on himself, having the amazing season he did, and then, you know, the way the season ended and the the backlash that you were already getting for Cashman, you know, potentially coming back, which it's pretty much confirmed that he's coming back as that, keeping Aaron Boone, you can't allow Aaron Judge to walk out the door right after all of that happens. Like New York would would blow up like the the 
the New York media would eat that for lunch every single day. And it would be consistent questions throughout the, the rest of the season. Um, you know, this next upcoming season and the, the length of that contract of why didn't you sign Aaron judge or why didn't you resign him? If he if he goes on and has, you know, a good next couple years. Uh, and I just don't think Brian Cashman can afford to let that happen right now with, with already being on thin ice as it is. But uh, speaking of, uh, of New York and going over to the Mets and an owner that, you know, we just talked about is, is not afraid to spend money and, and not afraid to, to make sure he gets their guy. We'll go with Jacob deGrom and, and we'll go ahead and start with you, Matt. Where do you have Jacob deGrom going? So I have Jacob deGrom going back to the Mets. Um, I think that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, Jacob De- or the, Steve Cohen runs the team like a fan because that's at the end of the day, that's what he is. That's why he's the owner. He bought the team because he, he just, he's a Mets fan. And, um, you know, he does, fans typically uh, of teams are, they are biased to their own players and they don't want their players to leave, even if it makes sense for them to go somewhere else and, and for them to, you know, build, bring in, you know, guys that are maybe better fits or, or, uh, you know, they spread the money around a little bit or something else. So, but, um, so I, I but I think he's going to come back to the, I think he's going to go back to the Mets. Um, and I just can't imagine him. I can't imagine him walking away from, from there with the amount of money that I think Steve Cohen will offer him and, and the amount of love he's gotten from Mets fans. Um, you know, I do have him at only a three-year deal, but 145 million. I think he signed something similar to what Scherzer did last year, with just a little bit higher AAV. And um, I think that the reason is, you know, he's 35 years old, and that you know that injury history just—it's it, going to be hard for teams to offer him more than three, three maybe four years. But you know, I, I could see a team going to five or six if they are going to five years if they just if the AAV was a lot lower. But I, I think I, I really think it's going to be something like a three-year, maybe a four-year deal, and just a super high, you know, AAV. And because I mean, you're talking about a guy who hasn't pitched a full year in three years, even though when he has pitched, he's been unbelievable. Um, you know, a guy who hasn't pitched a full year in three years and the, and the type of pitcher he is doesn't really make you think he's going to just all of a sudden start pitching, you know, 200 innings again. And, um, you know, I think he's a guy who's probably going to be a 150, 160 innings a year guy. And while he's going to be putting up insane numbers, there's that risk that it's less than that. So, uh, I definitely think three years, 145 million, and I, I I'll be surprised if he's not back with the Mets next year. Yeah, for me, I, for me, I just don't know. I mean, if he was going to stay with the Mets, why hasn't it happened? Right, like we talked about him saying before the last or in last off season and in, in spring training. Well, I'm going to opt out after this year. Well. You know, if Steve Cohen was really so adamant on making sure that Jacob DeGrom stays, they he would have gone and thrown so much money at him that, you know, DeGrom didn't have to opt out there. And then we've already seen the rumblings that they were going to make Diaz and Nimmo the two priority free agents um, from the Mets. And I don't feel like you say that and you don't include Jacob DeGrom in there. Like, it, it's kind of weird that, that the report is, oh, they're going to make Diaz and Nimmo the the guys really like they, they're going to prioritize from the team i just feel like there might be some bad blood there with behind the scenes that we just don't aren't quite seeing and 
a team that really surprised me last year with how aggressive they were. And then I really wasn't thinking about it. And they were kind of linked today a little bit. And it kind of opened my eyes and made me think about it. And when I was doing these predictions earlier, it it kind of made a lot of sense that they are going to go in this direction um, and, and be in on it. And I have that being the Texas Rangers uh, being in on Jacob DeGrom. They made the aggressive move last year for Seeger and Simeon and Calhoun and John Gray. Um, you know, there's the rumblings that they want to be in on Kershaw. We'll see what happens there. I mean, Kershaw said that he'll either sign with Texas or the Dodgers on a, on a one-year deal. But, I mean, you'll make room for Kershaw if that happens. But if you have a chance to go get Jacob DeGrom, Chris Young's going to want to be aggressive. They just hired Bruce Boshi. They're going to be there to win. They're not there for a rebuild and a slow build. They're there to be aggressive and win now. And, you know, if you go to uh, five years for Jacob DeGrom, and I have it Two hundred and twenty-five million because they're going to have to overpay to get him. Like, I I just think that the Rangers are going to be aggressive on that. And, and if you are as serious as you are as trying to compete in that division with the Astros, with the Mariners rotation that we've seen, you know, you never know about the Angels. They have the talent, but can they just stop being stupid eventually? Um, you're going to have to make some big moves and, and be that that team needs a lot. And I think Degrom's right at the top of the list. Yeah, so this is my least confident prediction out of all of them, I think, and it's maybe the most obvious pick. The reason I don't like the Rangers as a pick is the they do spring in Arizona, and DeGrom has said he does, he wants to do spring in Florida. He would probably even rather play in Florida, the, the issue being there that the Marlins and the Rays aren't going to sign Jacob DeGrom. So... You know, that's a hometown thing. That's not a baseball thing. From a baseball perspective, there's a, there's a lot of teams that I could see picking up DeGrom, right? I think the Yankees could spend in the rotation. If Aaron Judge walks, the, uh, the Rangers are a team that would spend in the rotation. The Cubs are a team that would spend in the rotation. The Red Sox are always a threat in big market teams. Um, and their pitching last year was really suspect and could be transformed by a player like Jacob DeGrom. Um, there's, you know, the Mariners who are always sneaky here, although they did just spend money on their rotation the last couple of, you know, the deadline in the off season. So, uh, the Dodgers are always going to be one of those teams to watch out for, especially if Clayton Kershaw walks this off season, but I'm just going to have him going back to the Mets, man. But I, he's going to set an AAV record. Um, whether that deal is three, four or five years, you can pencil it in at 45 million or more. It's just a matter of what team is going to take on the risk, the injury risk to have the best player on your team or best pitcher in the league on your team. Um, I know Steve Cohen's, I don't think Steve Cohen's going to plan on letting him get away, but you know, I, if as a Cubs fan, he's my number one, I want him more than any of the other players available because he's such a transformative pitcher for your rotation. So what I want, what I think is going to happen. There you go. Well, let's stay in the starting pitching market and we'll go over to San Francisco Giants left-hander Carlos Rodon, um, 30-year-old. He's not going to have a qualifying offer attached to him, if I believe. Didn't he have that last year or did he not? I don't think he got a qualifying offer oh, well. from the White Sox. So maybe he will he, have a qualifying he offer did not. attached to him. Yes, he will. Okay, so qualifying offer guy, uh, 30 years old, left-handers, injury history. David, where do you have Carlos Rodon going? It's a tough one. Um, he's, I think Carlos Rodon's going to go to one of those teams that that needs that starting pitching help, but is also willing to go up in the years and the 
the AAV. Uh, he's in the same boat as Gossman, Robbie Ray, and others from last year, um, where he's probably going to sign a five or six year deal in that 115 to $150 million range. So I think somebody's going to have to pay up to, to really acquire him. I went with the Orioles because the Orioles are going to need pitching to, you know, give themselves an opportunity with that young core coming up. Uh, I think it's a really good chance for them to go ahead and, and strike, especially while they have a top 10 protected pick or actually they don't anymore, but th- they would still be willing to, I think, give up that first round pick because they're going to be going for it finally. So, the Orioles making a splash. I like, I think he's going to have to go over one one fifty. but I'm trying, I was trying to kind of mimic the John Lester deal from a few years ago. Like what team would be willing to throw in their John Lester. And so I felt like the Orioles giving Carlos wrote on the John Lester deal would kind of make some sense there. So I have like six years, one sixty. Um, But again, it's a, he's a very fluid type of player. And I, I see him going to a team wanting to step up into contention like the Blue Jays did last year and the Mariners as well with Robbie Ray and Kevin Gossman. Yeah, and um, I think, I, I, I mean, I would love to see him end up with the Orioles. Uh, I think the Orioles would be a fun team for, for a guy like that. They, they haven't had a pitcher at, at Carlos Rodon's caliber in many years. and uh, But, but the, the only thing that worries me about the Orioles would be the fact that they're not going to spend at a super high payroll and he's, he's an injury risk to the point of where you can worry about, you know, locking a guy up for six years with that kind of injury risk. So, but I went, I went with the Cardinals, uh, and five years, one forty. Um, I think that the Cardinals desperately needs some more starting pitching. Um, you know, this year, if you remember, they had to trade for, you know, Quintana who they've lost now to free agency. And, um, and, you know, Jordan, uh, Jordan Montgomery at the deadline. Wainwright's te- coming back next year, but he's another year older, and I just don't know if he's that reliable. And you got, like, you know, Flaherty's not really that reliable because of injury, and, and even when he has pitched, he hasn't been all that effective. And then you've got, like, a, you know, uh, you got Miles Michaelis still there that's just kind of, you know, you, you just don't expect these guys to, to have the – the type of seasons that you could possibly get from Carlos Rodon. They don't really have a true, like, number one type. And when Rodon's healthy, the last two years, he has been more than a number one. He's been one of the best pitchers in baseball the last two years. But that injury risk is enormous. I know that the Cardinals have been talking about increasing payroll a little bit and, uh, you know, not being quite as afraid to spend this offseason. And I think that this might be where they put a lot of that money into. So I got him going to the Cardinals for five years, 140. Yeah, for Rodon, for me... I really, really, really wanted to put the Angels here. Like, he makes a ton of sense for them. But I just couldn't believe that they're going to do that on top of, you know, all the other contracts that they have on the books right now uh, and make that big of a splash um, in free agency. It's more likely they'll go for, you know, the one or two-year deals. Um, for Rodon, I put that he was going to go back to the uh, to the AL Central but this time with the Minnesota Twins, um, we talk so much about the Twins' um, you know, rotation issues this year. Um, they brought back Sonny Gray, but they've lost Chris Paddock for most of the year next year, if not the entire season. Uh, Tyler Molle has had his shoulder issues. Um, you know, He's had that the last couple years as well. So can he be reliable? They've let go of Dylan Bundy, Chris Archer, 
I mean, I know you had uh, Joe Ryan, you know, played a big part last year and was, was really good. But if they want to step up into contention against the White Sox team, who will probably be aggressive and spend some money this offseason, and then into against that Guardians team that we talk so much about with the, the young pitching staff and the young team they have overall. Um, I went with the Twins being aggressive. It's an out-of-left-field move that they are not usually this aggressive with. But who saw them signing Carlos Correa last year? I understand that was a, a shorter-term deal with opt-outs. I'm going to really fit what he was doing. But nobody predicted that they'd be in on that. I just think it makes sense that they go in on the the starting pitching in the high-up starting pitching market. Um, so I have the Twins signing him for a five-year, $150 million, uh, $30 million AAV. I think they're going to have to spend up a little bit more than what the market would uh, would normally be for a guy like Rodon. I really like the Twins to Rodon, by the way. That's a, that's a good little pairing. I think that's good. Yeah, that would be fun. So let's go ahead and, and jump over to the uh, the shortstop market now since our next four or five will be in that one. And we'll go ahead and start with uh, who people could, could say you yeah, there's a one a one b here but we'll go ahead and start with uh trey turner and uh and matt matt you and i agree on where we think trey turner is going to go and i think we pretty similar deals yeah so you can call me a homer but uh <laughs> i think um i think trey turner I, I, honestly I, and, and this is a shot in the dark type pick the braves really really need a shortstop uh, they're going to need one of the one of the guys that are that are up here, and I, I think Trey Turner makes the most sense. Uh, the Braves really need a little bit more contact in that lineup. That is, you know, because because they've they've really struggled with the, you know, that obviously they've been a great team, but they go through phases where they've got you know just so many strikeouts in that lineup, it, it gets really difficult to, you know, to, they they go through some slumps from that. And, um, you know, Trey Turner's a guy who's going to make a lot of contact. Uh, he's got some power too. He can run. I think that the I think that the Braves uh, they've, they've spent a lot of talk about increasing payroll more and being up into the top five in payroll this year. Uh, it's the direct quote that the uh, president of the Braves said: "They're going to be top five payroll, so you're going to spend it somewhere." And you know, I think that when you look at you know what they would potentially pay, we'll talk about Dansby Swanson here in a few minutes. But they would potentially pay him the you know the extra you know eight to ten million dollars it's going to take to get. Trey Turner over Dansby, I think it's worth it. And I think that the Braves would possibly cash in a little bit of that money that they're saving on, you know, having all these team friendly deals and stuff on getting a guy like Trey Turner. Um, you know, eventually he could, you know, slide over to second base if you needed him to, um, you know, at some point, you know, that'd be four or five years from now, probably. But uh, I really, I really like Trey Turner and he's he he's also wanted to play on the east coast um you know he's from florida originally and he played at nc state in college so you know atlanta's kind of right in between there uh, it makes a lot of sense to me so i think that the braves might go after trey turner and, and i got him at eight years 260 million um you know and i think uh you know it'll be interesting i would be very excited about that if it, if it happened as a braves fan but you know it's kind of a shot in the dark so yeah, and, and right before David jumps in, I have him to the Braves at eight years for two fifty, so just ten million dollar difference there, um, and for me between our, our deals. But go ahead, David. Yeah, no. So th- I think that works out nicely that y'all both had him there. So I'll go ahead and break down even just the shortstops in general. I think it's a pretty clear. There's a, there's like five teams, maybe six, that are going to be hunting for these shortstops. Right? You've got the Dodgers, the Braves, um, who have lo- are losing a shortstop. You've got the Cardinals, the Phillies, the Cubs, who are hunting a shortstop to push themselves into the hunt. And then, um, and did I not say one? I think the Braves. I'm, I'm lost. Oh, man. 
Phillies, Dodgers, Cubs, Braves, Cardinals, Red Sox. Six teams. There you go. Red Sox were the, the other team that, that lost one, and I think they'll be involved. Um, it's going to be a bidding war is the thing, right? I think these, these shortstops are going to, to bid against each other. They're going to try to drive up the price for each other. Um, and I think Trey Turner is the best player of these four available. Now, in that case, the Trey Turner is probably also going to be the most expensive player going. Now, Carlos Correa is probably going to want the biggest contract, but I think you could probably you could probably reason that Carlos Correa will get the biggest contract too, since he's not bound by the qualifying offer, and the other three will be. Um, that being said, Trey Turner is still the best player, so I've, I'm going to stick Trey Turner with the the highest contract of these. I think it's totally possible that Carlos Correa beats that, but it's going to get down to a bidding war and who's more to be going to want to be the most aggressive. Therefore I went with the Phillies going for Trey Turner. It's the most, it's kind of getting rumored now, which I wasn't even thinking about that when I was doing this, I was just like, all right, which teams need a shortstop? All right, it's these teams. Who's going to be the most aggressive? Well, the Phillies just lost the world series. So the Phillies are going to be the most aggressive. They're going to be the one going hardest after Trey Turner, um, which that was my logic. Eight years, 300 million is what I've got it. It, it could even get higher than that. I think this these four deals are going to be probably the four most um, feel overpay feeling deals for for these players. But I think the one that'll be the lowest, the closest to a, a reasonable deal, will be the Trey Turner deal because he's a really good player, and the the stolen base is going to come back in a big way with the pitch clock uh, going out. So um, the stole, he may steal like sixty seventy bases next year just because he'll have more opportunities to steal with the limited pickoff moves. Man, I can't wait for Adam to listen to this episode. Little inside joke for David there, but uh, yeah, I mean it makes it makes a ton of sense. And we'll just go ahead and, and continue on with the shortstop conversation. And and the other guy you mentioned there that's going to be in the battle for the uh, the biggest contract in that shortstop market, and that's Carlos Correa. Um, you know, you mentioned he's a he's a year younger. He's not going to have the qualifying offer attached because he had it last year. Um, and he's arguably the, the best out of the four or five that are out there. So, uh, so where do you guys have Carlos Correa going? I guess we'll go ahead and just start with David. Or maybe Matt. Yeah. Um, so I have Carlos Correa going to the Dodgers. Um, and the reason is because I have Trey Turner not going back to the Dodgers. So they have a vacancy there. And I think Carlos Gray is just going to go wherever he gets paid the most. Um, I think that, you know, you kind of looked at last year. That's kind of what happened with the Twins. He, he wanted to take that, you know, he didn't like the contract offers he was getting. And he wanted a high AAV and to bet on himself for a year. Come back without a qualifying offer. I think he's about, you know, getting paid. And I think that the two teams that will just pay whatever it takes are the for, for a player are the Mets and the Dodgers and the Mets already have a shortstop that's locked up to an enormous contract. So uh, the Dodgers are the team that'll need a shortstop and they will pay for him and they'll pay him $326 million for 10 years because he wants to beat Corey Seager. I mean, because he wants to beat Corey Seager by a million dollars. So there you go. I think it's the Dodgers. Yeah. I also have him hitting the Dodgers. Um, and this is a, this is a tough one because I think Correa to the Cubs makes a lot of sense if the Cubs want to prioritize the player that does not have the qualifying offer. Um, I, in that case, I would also think that the Braves could prioritize him as they would lose a first-round pick. Um, so it's it's one of those things – or a second-round pick, but but it'll be a, a worse second-round pick. It's just a – it's a tough one because I think Correa is probably the third-best player 
shortstop available right now, but he's also got, you know, more upside. He's a, a bigger guy. So theoretically you could think about him pulling a Manny Machado, moving to third base and kind of stepping up his power game a little bit. That's kind of how I've envisioned it. Um, the Dodgers probably have one or two more years of Justin Turner and he doesn't even always play third base that, that often. So, you know, the Dodgers have that flexibility on the infield anyway. Uh, the Cubs have a need at both, you know, middle infield and third base where, you know, Patrick wisdom, isn't going to cut it. So, you know, between those two, I went with the Dodgers just because I think they'll be willing to, to go more in the years because they were willing to go for a longer term deal with Freddie Freeman. They've got Mookie Betts locked up for a long time. Adding a, another long term contract doesn't hurt the Dodgers because they know what they want to lock up. Yeah. And, and for me, I have a hard time feeling like the Dodgers are going to play in the upper end of the shortstop market unless it's Trey Turner. Um, and even then, I don't think that that's a thing because they would have already done it by now. Um, you know, with, with signing other people to an extension, Trey Turner's talked that he would sign an extension with them before and it didn't happen. So for me, I have Correa going to the Cubs 10 years, $330 million. Um, you know, he talked about, he, he talked about wanting to set the AAV record. I mean, or, you know, for a shortstop Seager did it at 10 years, 325 next last year. Correa is not going to have the qualifying offer attached to him now. Um, you know, I know he is going to be a year older, but he's still only 28, like 10 years only takes him to age 38. Um, there was some rumblings last year about, um, Correa to the Cubs being, you know, a thing. I mean, he's, he had dropped some hints at it before as well. Um, and he's, he's not going to be a qualifying offer guy now. I mean, I know we keep saying that, but it's a big, big deal for, you know, these teams that are right there in the middle and re ready to kind of be a competing team again, but not quite ready to give up the draft picks um, to make that happen. Uh, and, and I just think it makes a lot of sense for them to to do that, especially after the rumblings um, from this last year. And I just don't think that the, uh, the Dodgers uh, are going to be able to play or, or will be willing to play on that market um, with other options available. I just I'm not entirely sure whether the Cubs are going to go for a higher term deal or higher length deal um, in terms of time. I mean, maybe not, but they should be the ones to do it. They're a big market team and they have nobody locked up. Like, I mean, I know you have Saya, but for four more years, yeah. like, you have nobody on long term financial commitments. Well, the problem is that Jed Hoyer has talked at length about mitigating the long term risk. Um, to where I think the Cubs are going to be like, if, in the, if the Cubs are involved in the DeGrom sweepstakes, for example, they'll be in it three years, but I don't think they'll be willing to go to five, which is what I think it'll take to sign DeGrom. I don't know that they'll be willing to go to 10 for Correa when they could potentially get a Trey Turner or a Xander Bogarts for fewer years for maybe a little more money per year. Um, I think the Cubs would rather spend more at the front end of these contracts rather than on the back end of those deals when these players are hitting you know, their late 30s. It just seems like that's the way the Cubs are trending. Um, ultimately, if that's what it took to sign him and they signed him, I certainly would not have any complaints. But just trying to read into the, the GM speak that I've, I've heard floating around, I, I just don't know that they'll go 10 years. If they do, I'm down. Let's do it. I'll buy my Correa jersey tomorrow. But... Um, yeah, the, the 10 year deal for the Cubs seems a little bit, I, I just don't know if they're going to do it. So, 
so just we'll, we'll move on to our next guy, but it, it, I want to bring this onto this conversation because it might allow you to express more into it. Um, Correa's 28. We have him going, all of us have him going for a 10 year deal. You have Xander Bogarts going for seven years to the Cubs. Uh, I know it is less, actually, you have him for more AAV than the, uh, than the Carlos Correa deal. Why would exactly. it be that they, that they wouldn't sign? I mean, it's not much. I mean, it's, yeah. you have it by, by, half a million or something to AV wise. Why would it be that the Cubs would sign a 30 year old who's two years older to only a one year, three know, years. It is three years. Three but years at the less. end of the deal, it will only be a one year age difference. Why would you I, have them go in for that over career? Now it's, it's just a, it was a gut feeling thing when I was doing the sheet, but, but at the same time, my, my thought process is that the Cubs need a lot more than just a singular shortstop. And their their plans and their outlook may their their outlook may dictate that Correa is a little more volatile and Bogarts is a little more reliable just based on the the hit tool where Bogarts is a you know an elite ninety fifth percentile hit tool Correa's hit tool is more like you know sixty seventy percentile um, and he's kind of prone to some slumps prone to some injuries and Bogarts is out there every day he's really been one of the more reliable players the last five or six years. Um, he's uh, Bogarts is by no means my favorite player. I think him losing out on isolated power over the last couple of years gives me some big pause. Um, and honestly, I kind of feel like this might be the worst case scenario for the Cubs, but I do think them grabbing Bogarts or Swanson is more likely than them going to 10 years on one of the other guys. If they can get one of the other guys for eight years, I think they'd be more interested. And I know that Correa at, you know, from 10 years from now will be like the same age as Bogarts eight years from now. But I, I don't know. It just, it's one of those things where I think the Cubs are trying to operate with this kind of new age mindset of, we don't want to get ourselves locked down for more than seven years. And rumor had it that they tried to get Correa last year for seven years. Um, how much of this is Jason Hayward scaring them whom they signed at 26? You know, I don't know, but um, it's, it's just something about the stability of Xander Bogarts kind of called to me and that that would be the way they go. Um, because Dansby Swanson, as we'll get to, is probably one of the more volatile of these four shortstops. Um, and it'll be, you know, if, if you're trying to spend your money and re- mitigate risk, I think the Cubs are maybe wisest to spend on Bogarts, but also that could in itself bring on more risk. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, for that, I had the Cardinals going uh, for Xander at five years, $150 million. Um, feels like they want to be in on the shortstop market. Don't know if they're going to quite be able to compete on the Turner and Correa level. And then once you look at the Bogart Swanson, I feel like Bogarts is sort of the guy that, that kind of just fits what they do better. I mean, I know Dansby's a lot better defender and then their big thing is infield defense and, and being really solid. But I just feel like for some reason, Xander kind of calls to me as, is the guy that fits better with the, uh, with the Cardinals. And, and we'll talk a little bit why I, between the two there, why I had Dansby going somewhere else. Um, but Matt, where do you have uh, Xander Bogarts going? Yeah, I have him go to the Phillies. Uh, I think he's a good fit there because they, um, you know, they're a team that doesn't really care quite as much about defense, it seems. I mean, they just signed Castellanos and Schwarber in the same offseason. And um, I think they're about, I think that the type of team they're trying to be is they're going to mash and they're going to get pitchers who don't give up grounders and strike people out. And I think that. You know, Xander Bogarts kind of fits into that mold a little bit. He's not a, he's not as bad of a defender, I think, as people think he is. But 
Um, he's not a fantastic defender, and uh, but yeah, I mean, I, th- I think he's I, I think he's a good bat, and I got him going six years, one eighty. Um, I think that would be a, a pretty solid contract for him. Um, I've always been a huge fan of Sander Bogarts, and I think he's very, very, very underrated. So I would be very uh, I'll be very unhappy if he winds up with the Phillies in the in the Braves division. But I know the Phillies are looking for a shortstop, and I definitely think he's one that would be um, that kind of fits the mold there. Yeah, so we'll transition over and then staying in that division um, with with uh, the Braves' former shortstop. Where do you see Dansby Swanson going and where his fit is? Yeah, so I I have Dansby Swanson go to the Cubs. Um, his um, you know it's kind of been it's kind of been one of the, the the places that he might have on his mind if he doesn't wind up back in Atlanta. I think he wants to go back to Atlanta, but um, I think I think his wife or his fiance I think he got married. They've got they got married by now, but anyway, she's she's from Chicago. Um, I think he's a guy who embraces the you know the, the, the cities like like Atlanta, Chicago, the bigger market. Uh, and I think he um, you know I think the Cubs are, would be willing to pay him more. I, th- I think the Braves are going to be very hesitant to pay him. You know what what some other teams probably will, and I think it's for good reason. I'm very 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 down on him long term uh, compared to a lot of people. I think he. He's such a swing and miss player. He's had one year where he was really good at the plate, and that was this year. And he had like a 360 Babbitt this year. Uh, I know the underlying metrics are pretty good for him, but uh, his main skill is defense. And he just had a career year defensively. And, you know, that's not a skill that can carry you into your 30s very well. And uh, he's 29 years old, so that, that is in his favor. He's not on the wrong side of 30 yet, but. Um, I think that a team will, will want to snatch him up and bring him in as a guy who's a clubhouse leader and is a, you know, a really fun player to watch, fiery competitor. Um, he's a, you know, he's a winning type of player, and I think the Cubs would be a team that, that would really uh, benefit from from somebody that can kind of be a leader in their young clubhouse, uh, especially with some of the departures they're going to have, and like like Wilson Contreras, you know, kind of being their their team leader up until now, and. Um, he, um, you know, six years, 150. I think it's going to be something similar to that Javi Baez slash Trevor Story type contract range. So. Yeah, so I had I had Dansby going to the Phillies um, with a really similar deal. Six years, $145 million. Um, for me, Dansby makes a lot more sense for the, a team like the Phillies because they we've, we've talked about their infield defense. Uh, and what this allows is it allows Stott to really kind of focus on second base. You get a good defensive shortstop at, uh, you know, there with the Phillies and really try and solidify that infield defense. Bohm had been sketchy. He showed his, um, he showed a little bit of, of um, uh, progress, I should say, on, on the defensive side, but, but still has his moments. And I think helping, getting a shortstop like Dansby that can really help lock down that side of the field defensively. And then add him into that lineup where if he's able to produce um, anywhere clear close to what he's able, was able to do this year, you know, if he's able to hit 270 around there, hit you know 20 to 25 homers, steal some bases there. I mean that that could be a really good fit for the Phillies team um, that we just saw make the World Series, but help solidify that defense a little bit more. Um, you mentioned the career year defensively, his his defensive value on per fan graphs, his best season was 9.6 before this year. This year it was 21.4. So I don't know how sustainable that level of that quite is, um, but Dansby's a, a very solid player that would fit a team like the Phillies really well. And I'm just not sure that the Braves 
are going to do it because they've made a, a habit of locking up their young guys or locking up their talent before it ever reaches the free agency market. And they haven't done it with, with Dansby. And it, it just feels a lot kind of like that Freddie Freeman story from last year. We were like, the guy probably wants to go back, should should go back, and I'm just not quite sure that it's going to happen. Yeah, and, and remember, you know, one other thing with that too, it's the same agent. And, you know, the Braves yeah. had a lot of issues with Casey Close last year and, and the Freddie Freeman, regardless of whether what kind of issues they actually were, because um, there's been a lot of debate about that, but it's the same agent. So I, I'd be I'd be very – I wouldn't be shocked if he ended up signing back with the Braves because he really wants to go back there. But I think he would probably take a discount if he did that. I, I just don't know if that's going to happen. So Potentially. Well, David? Well, that's where I've got him going. Um, but that being said, I have a player comp. For, for Dansby Swanson. I, I, I feel like oh, no. he is on a similar trajectory to Marcus Simeon, where he went from being a guy who was known for hitting someone inconsistently, but being a really valuable glove in the field to being a superstar hitter. You know, Simeon went to being a superstar hitter over a couple of years after his first kind of breakout year. He then went and in 2021 was an MVP candidate. I think Dansby's got that kind of transformative power. Um, which is not really something that anyone else in this class has shown off where Dansby's launch angles and exit velocities are just, you know, they're sky high. Um, and his biggest weakness seems to be the whiff. Uh, but, you know, Simeon was able to you know co- correlate all his skills into a 45 home run season. I think Dansby's got that kind of power. I think his athleticism with the uh, removal of the pitch clock allows him to be maybe the the number two in terms of like stolen bases in this class where, you know, I, we don't really know the impact of those additional stolen bases, but I, I really believe that overall the numbers are going to go way up. We're going to see a lot more guys at 30, 40 stolen bases. And I think the top end guys are going to be a 50 plus um, because pitchers can't throw over after one pickoff move. So there's going to be a lot of big leads, a lot of stolen bases, I think more than we're really anticipating at this point. Um, the Braves are the, the last team, I think, that is going to be willing to spend big. I don't know if the Red Sox or the Cardinals would um, be willing to throw $200 million at a player at this point. I think they'll be trying to get in at uh, the 150 to 180 range. So that's why I have my four teams that are getting a shortstop as the Phillies, Dodgers, Cubs, and Braves. And I have the Braves grabbing Dansby at eight years for $195 million. Um, you know, just a little bit under what Bogart's got kind of ordering those out nicely. But, um, I think Dansby could, if Dansby went to the Cubs at six years, 150, I'd be absolutely elated. Um, because that's a, that's a pretty solid deal for, for the Cubs in my mind. Cause I, I think that would allow them to go out and get a, a big pitcher potentially. So, um, yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned, I, I think he's on the Trevor story track, not the Marcus Simeon track, but that's kind of, <laughs> Uh, he's a volatile. Hey, that works. I mean, yeah, he's a volatile player. I mean, he's just yeah. He, he could go. There's a lot of different ranges of where he could end up. So, well, let's go ahead and stick with the the Cubs theory there, and, and we'll stick with Wilson Contreras, um, the the top catcher on the market this year. Uh, we'll get the qualifying offer. Has already announced that he's going to decline that, um, and the preliminary interest so far has been from the Cardinals and the Tigers. And it looks like two of us have that. So, David, where do you have him going? Well, I'm I'm willing to part with Wilson Contreras. I have been not my his biggest fan. He's very clunky behind the plate. Just uh, not not a good pitch blocker. Uh, cannon for an arm, 
not a good pitch framer. Doesn't really call a good game. Like whenever Jan Gomes came in this year, the Cubs pitchers were raving about how great Jan Gomes was at calling games, which is like something they would have only known because Wilson Contreras is not good at it. So, you know, I, I think I think I've got I've got Wilson going to the Cardinals because of that early chatter. Um, but I think his market, I think he should have taken the qualifying offer. His market is not going to be all that great. I have him getting 20 million. I, I just don't know if he's going to be really getting that because we, we saw the Cubs try to trade him at the deadline and be unable to do so for anything of value. Um, the fact that they're getting that second round pick back is nice. Uh, but they're letting him go because of that, that game calling stuff. And I genuinely don't know. I mean, the Tigers do make some sense, but it's he won't get more per year, I think, than the qualifying offer. And we both have him at twenty million a year. That's just what I that's right at the qualifying offer deal. So um, you know, that's a it's just a risk to grab a catcher with such, you know, negative defensive uh value. Yeah, for Contreras, it's it's right above it. I think the qualifying is like nineteen point three. So I have him going to the Tigers. Um, even though he's a qualifying offer guy, I don't think the Tigers would lose their pick because I think it's t- sixth overall um so i think the at least the top 10 pick um they'd lose one of their later round the second round pick there um and i haven't seen anything five years 100 million um don't know that it makes a ton of sense for the tigers but we heard the interest there today and i just said okay well why not like i don't i don't think that wilson will go to the cardinals i mean i could be wrong but mm-hmm. i just don't know if being the cubs player and how emotional he's got there if he's going to want to jump to the Cardinals side of that rivalry if that even plays a factor, but um, you know, maybe the Tigers and having a guy like Javi Baez, you know, playing him up to that team and to that front office, maybe that does something for him. But Matt, what do you, what do you have going for Wilson Contreras? Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly had no idea. Uh, So I just patted back to the Cubs because I was just sitting here thinking, why would you not trade him? But I mean, if you didn't want to keep him, but um, I don't know. I mean, I, I agree with David and, and Damien. I, I don't think his market's going to be what he's hoping it will be um, because of, like you said, just not a great defensive catcher. And while well, he's got a good bat, it's not like the type of bat that you could stick in, you know, at the DH and be real happy with it. Like if you're paying him to be a DH, you're not going to pay him you know, somewhere with 18 to $20 million. It feels a little bit like a part-time catcher slash DH role is what he would end up being. And I just, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I didn't go back to the Cubs just because I couldn't think of another team that would fit with him. And he's kind of been a leader there, I guess. And he's been there a long time. So, but I, I just, I imagine that he ends up going somewhere else. I just couldn't think of who it might be. So. Yeah, and he's a he's a good bat for a catcher. Yeah, exactly. I guess that, like, that's the way to say. Yeah, it. he's a good bat for a catcher, but like if you want to throw him in a corner outfield or a DH spot, he's still a good bat. But it's like, you know, you're thinking more in that he's more in that second tier. Like, you know, you kind of talk about some of the other free agents out there, like that are kind of corner outfield DH, like like a, you know, like a Mitch Haniger. Is he really good? Would he really be a better if if you're signing him for like a corner outfield DH spot? Is he really better than Mitch Haniger? Probably not. He's probably up. Like he, I, he is better than Mitch Haniger yeah. by a significant amount, but yeah, maybe I mean, a little he, bit. It's like this year, Haniger was Haniger really struggled this year, but Haniger hasn't played yeah. a full season in like four years, yeah. and, and Contreras has been able to at least play 120 games right. since the last like five. So yeah, I mean, I get that. I'm just saying, like in general, like just if you're talking about who's like whether product while they're on the field production, you know, type thing, 
I'm not saying that I would give them a bigger deal. I'm just saying like it, it's just it's a tough it's a tough market for Contreras and the only the good thing going for him is that there really aren't any catching options out there this year other than Contreras. So uh, that that is something that's good that's you know good for him. So any team that needs a catcher might probably look at yeah, it closely. It's, so it's like Contreras and then Christian Vasquez yeah. I think are are really the two. So. Um, but anyways, let's, let's go ahead and move on to uh, to the Mets. We'll go back over there, and the guy we talked about a little earlier when we were talking about DeGrom, and that's Brandon Nimmo, um, 30-year-old, going to have the qualifying offer attached, really broke out over the last couple seasons. Um, leadoff type guy, high contact, not much power. Uh, where do you guys see him going? We'll go ahead and start with David. Oh, yeah, I don't see him leaving New York. Um, if the, the Yankees fail to sign Judge, I think he's a candidate to go play center field for the Yankees. If the Yankees do re-sign Judge, I don't see him leaving New York and going back to the Mets. Um, Yankees I envision, have Bader. Yeah, well, he could play right field too. I, I, I just don't. I just don't see him leaving New York um, because I don't think any other teams are going to be willing to pay him um, what the Yankees and the Mets might be willing to. Just a, a feeling there. And anyway, the the point is, I, I got him like seven years, one hundred seventy-five. That might be real high for a guy who doesn't really hit for power, but he's been pretty reliable and on base. He's had some injury issues. Um, you know, he's the kind of leadoff guy that, you know, we've seen teams crave to play the the leadoff spot, but then his impact in that New York lineup is kind of, it, it's non-existent really. You know, he, he doesn't, he doesn't really, he didn't really get on base a lot in the playoffs this year. You know, like it, he wasn't the, the kind of catalyst to that lineup that, that they needed him to be. So, you know, he scored 102 runs this year. He did what a leadoff guy is supposed to do. But, you know, once it came to the playoffs, he was, I guess he was okay this year, but I don't know. I just don't, I just don't feel like he's going to be making a big impact on the, on the free agent market outside of New York. Yeah. I think uh, I have him going back to the Mets as well. And it, I think Matt, you are kind of on the same vein there. Um, once they said they're prioritizing Diaz and Nimmo, it's going to be hard to see Steve Cohen being outbid. Um, if they say they're prioritizing a guy um, and I just don't think that they're going to want to let Nimmo walk. I mean, it could even be a deal that we see happen before um, before free agency officially opens. Uh, if he's that serious and, and willing to pay up, I have met six years, 130 million, um, slightly lower on the AAV, not as many years. Um, but I just think that that's probably a deal for the type of player that Nimmo really is um, not being a big contact or a, a big power guy. Um, and really being a, a, a get on base kind of contact type. I don't know if he's going to be up there to get the $25 million a year. Um, so I have him just under about $22 million a year. Yeah. And I mean, I think I'm kind of on the same page as Damien and, and David to a certain level. I, I, I just, you know, this is the type of thing that I was talking about earlier with Steve Cohen. As a, Steve Cohen's a Mets fan. And as a Mets fan, you kind of value your own players more than maybe you should. And I mean, I, the contract I've got for him, I think, is probably what he should be getting. But I actually really like Brandon Nemo. I think he's a good player. I think he's underrated. But, um, you know, I got him at five years, 110, back to the Mets. Uh, he really fits what they like to do in their lineup. They got a lot of contact guys, high on base guys. You know, him, Jeff McNeil, uh, you know, Lindor to a certain level, Starling Marte, a lot of these guys who just don't strike out very much, make a lot of contact. Um, you know, I think that he kind of fits that, and I think he's, you know, he's kind of 
perfect for their lineup. He's also he's gotten a lot better defensively. He was really bad defensively when he first came up, and he's gotten a lot better in center field. So I think he's a pretty solid player. I think that's probably the best value pickup the Mets have. It's, I think five years, 110, could end up being a good contract for him. But he is 30, and he has had some injury issues uh, in the past. But uh, I think he's a pretty good player, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see this one end kind of early in the offseason as well. Absolutely. Uh, well, let's go ahead and, and we got a couple more here and we'll go to the one that we pretty much all agree on. And I think it's a, a pretty synonymous pick around, but that's with Justin Verlander at the age of 40, obviously not going to have a qualifying offer attached to him. Um, coming off Tommy John surgery, just won the World Series with the Houston Astros. Um, I don't see him leaving. I got him at two years, $70 million, a $35 million AAV, just one of those short-term high AAV type deals. Um for, for a guy like Verlander that's going to lead that rotation for the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. I mean, I don't think he's leaving Houston. Uh, he's kind of put his name down in Houston folklore. He's won two World Series titles there. Um, I think he's going to – he says he wants to pitch till he's, you know, 45. Don't think anybody's going to give him five years. But um, I think that the Astros would – Love to have him back next year, and in order to make sure that that gets done, they'll give him two years. And uh, I, I've got him at sixty million. Uh, you know, he is coming off of what's likely to be a Cy Young, win, you know, season. So, you know, thirty million dollars a year for a guy, even though he's forty, he's coming off a Cy Young season, and he didn't really show any signs of that being a fluke. And you know, his aging is not. You know, he's kind of in uncharted water, you know, as a former Tommy, as a recent Tommy John guy who's at 40 years old. So we don't know how long he's going to be effective. But, I mean, I couldn't see him leaving Houston after this year. So I, I think he's going back there. All right. Well, let's go ahead. And David has him right back at the the same at the Houston for yeah. uh, 250. So $25 million per. Um, the the only question... For- the only question for Verlander is, is it going to be one year or two for that deal? It should be right around 25, 30 million, somewhere in there. I don't think it's even going to be a one. I think it's a question of, is it, will it be two or three? That's, that's honestly, is it, it would be like two with an option for a third is, is what I'm thinking. Yeah. I, that's, I, I think it's more in line mm, for that. Um, if he does have the option for a year, yeah, then it might, it might be a little lower if he has the option. But um, anyways. Let's go ahead and transition over to the last guy we'll talk about. And it's uh, it's in the first base market. Uh, I guess with Anthony Rizzo declining his qualifying offer, it may, he's maybe the, the top or probably the top first baseman out there. Um, but before we were talking about, we we're going to go with Rizzo. We were going to talk about Jose Abreu, um, 36-year-old first baseman, was with the White Sox. Uh, seems like there's been a lot of rumblings that he doesn't want to go back to the White Sox, um, if that's clubhouse yes. reasons or, or you know, front office behind the scenes, things we don't know about. Um, but been some rumors already about where he might go uh, and some potential fits. But David, where do you have uh, Jose Abreu going? I had to get put on board to this, but uh, I got him as the Cub and I have only heard the Cubs are very, very interested in Jose Abreu. Um, I think he's very, mu- very likely to be one of those first signings. Uh, he's not eligible for the qualifying offer, I don't believe, and because I, I think he signed it last year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, 
But either way, I don't foresee him getting more than a two or a three year deal. He'll go for about 20 million. Um, and he was like a four win player last year. He was just really, really good. His exit velocity numbers were the same, even though his home run numbers were down. And uh, in 2020, he hit more home runs in Wrigley Field than like half of the Cubs team. And he played three games there. Uh, so I think he hits really well in Wrigley Field. He's a really good fit. Uh, the Cubs have a lefty coming up in Matt Mervis. So they're going to probably want to pair him with a righty. Uh, and Jose Abreu is the best available righty. He's going to be non, not looking for more than one or two years, probably maybe three. But you might be able to even save a little bit of money per year if you sign him to three. And I don't think you're feeling bad about that, given his his skill set and the the consistency he showed over the last several years. He's a, a guy you plug and play at first base. Um, I envision that the the teams that lose a first baseman like the Yankees, like the White Sox, will be looking out for a guy like Jose Abreu. But um, his, you know, I, I from everything I've seen, I think the Cubs are going to jump on him really early in the off season. Yeah, I, I hadn't really heard the rumors about him leaving the White Sox before I put in my prediction. So I, I just figured he'd, he'd probably like to be back with the White Sox as a guy who he's been there his entire career. Uh, you know, the fans really like him there. And I mean, I could see if he doesn't want to be with the White Sox uh, because of some clash with ownership or something, I could definitely see him going to the Cubs because I, I really think he just, you know, he's been in that city forever. So, um, you know, he that's kind of the only place he's been since he, since he came over from Cuba. So uh, I think he's a good player and I would be, you know, I, I think he's, he, whoever picks him up, I think it's going to be a really solid pickup. So. Yeah, for me, I had him going to Houston on a two-year, $38 million deal. Um, they're losing Yuli Gurriel as a free agent, and uh, you know they traded for Trey Mancini. He's also a free agent. You get a good right-handed power bat in there, what he would be able to do with the Crawford boxes. Um, you know They don't seem to really care about age too much. He see, still seems like a good player um, overall, and he seems like a guy who will want to try and chase playoff baseball will want to try and chase a championship. Um, what better place to go and do that with the team that just won the World Series, has been there the past handful of years consistently deep in the playoffs, and has a hole at first base. And it will be willing to uh, to want to try and fill that. Um, you know, they could potentially bring back Yuli Gurriel, um, but, and maybe even Trey Mancini. But at this point, I mean, if you had a chance to get a guy like Jose Abreu, who's probably better than both of those, um, you know, and and fill that gap there and not have to worry about it. I think that makes a, a ton of sense. For what it's worth, a report came out this evening from uh, a Chicago uh, writer, Bruce Levine, that said the Cubs are expected to have strong interest in Jose Abreu. Um, and a very, it has like a very specifically like a two year deal may make, you know, the best of both worlds for the Cubs who want to keep that deal to fewer years, more money and Abreu who wants, you know, more of a guarantee. Um, it just, this feels like a match. Like when it was kind of presented to me, I was like, yeah, that kind of feels like it's going to be a thing that happens. So I don't know, maybe if I have a confidence level, if you know, the, the way you do like uh, March madness, if you have a confidence level on all these picks, I think this one would be one of my more confident picks. Um, just, uh, it just feels right. Well, the beauty of it is, is we shall wait and see what will happen throughout the off season. We'll hear a lot of rumors. Uh, most of them will probably not be true. We'll hear a ton of mystery teams. Uh, we'll see a ton of action. Uh, it will be pretty exciting uh, off season as we're getting ready to jump into it. 
Uh, one thing from us that is going to, to impact you guys listening is that during the off season, we're going to go towards a every other week schedule. Uh, most likely um, if, if some big names sign throughout the week, we will, um, you know, we'll jump in and do an episode that week. If we get the Aaron judge or the, the Jacob DeGroms or, or whatever, we'll do that. But the plan is originally to jump to every other week. So as of right now, the next episode that we plan on recording, um, would be the 22nd of November. Um, but anything else that you guys want to wrap up on or, or hit on as we jump into the, uh, the start of free agency in just a couple days. Yeah. Um, just, uh, you know, this was all really fun season this year. I think that, um, you know, we started off with the a, a lot of talk about the CBA and how baseball really didn't need to lose any momentum from the year year previous in 2021, which I thought was a great season as well. And I think things just kind of continued to go in the right direction this year. Um, you know, and obviously there's going to be a lot of talk this off season about these free agents and stuff. I think that the trade market will pick up at some point too. So um, you know, don't don't forget that there's also you know a lot of high high priority you know uh trade targets out there too you know uh, you might see we haven't even talked about him but maybe a guy like shohei otani gets moved i, I don't really expect him to just because i don't i don't know i just that's yeah. like a difficult thing to do but uh, but shohei otani could be on the market i mean some other guys like like a willie adamas or somebody who you know is is probably close to the you know these top 10 free agent type guys uh there's there's other pieces out there that could move to um, I think you're going to see this in the next couple weeks. You're going to see a decent amount of free agent sign early. I think that worked out a lot last year with uh, the guys who signed really early. They they seemed to be very happy with having signed early. Uh, they were kind of forced into it last year because of the the lockout impending, and uh, obviously that's not coming this year. So I think, but I think a lot of them might want to get settled early now and. Um, It'll be interesting. There's there's some other interesting free agents we didn't talk about today. You know, you got some of the more some of the other relievers. You've got guys like uh, you know the, the the pitcher from Japan, Kodai Senga, uh, who's coming in. Uh, that that might be a really really interesting one to watch. Who could get a high dollar deal? Uh, you got some of these guys who are you know some of these middle to not top of the rotation arms, but kind of middle middle tier arms. Like a uh, Taiwan Walker, Chris Bassett, Nate Valdi, those types of guys that might be interesting to see which ones of those might get valued higher than others, um, you know. And, and then you've got a couple guys like like JD Martinez and Michael Conforto who who could be who are kind of prove it deal type guys, like one year prove it deals, but they could also like they have the the high end ceiling to be super high impact wherever they go. So those might be interesting to see where they end up going, but I definitely think this is going to be an interesting, um, an interesting off season, and uh, I'm uh, I'm excited for it. I'm I'm ready to see what happens here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and I I think the the trade market is the the big one. I think that we really can't know about, and so if any huge trades hit, we'll we'll jump on. I know the the Motani thing was shut down by the Angels GM. Which is really just another way of saying if you're going to trade for him, you're going to have to give us your entire farm and, uh, you know, two of your minor league teams like, you know, stadiums and stuff. But uh, that being said, you know, there's other starting pitchers available. I think, you know, we've talked kind of at length about a number of those teams. You know, any team that we that misses out on DeGrom and Rodon and, and maybe in, in essence Verlander, though I don't know that anybody is pegging him away from the 
the Astros. Uh, those are going to be looked at. I think Pablo Lopez, maybe Shane Bieber, if the Guardians don't like that arbitration price, um, he could be on the move. And then obviously Otani, as well as maybe some guys we haven't heard about yeah. yet. So uh, just keep our keep our ears peeled and we'll, we'll be yeah. on if any of these big trades have. Yeah, I was going to say there's been a tiny bit of talk about a guy like Brandon Woodruff too. Another oh yeah, the, the Brewers might trade a starter yeah. as well. Yeah. Yep. So it's going to be a pretty interesting off season, and we will be here to wrap it all up for you guys. So thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the Batflip Podcast, and we'll see you guys in two weeks.